New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. As a young man in India wanting to escape the rigors of medical school, Rajiv Parthi fled to an ashram in the Himalayas. He told the head monk that he wanted to become a monk. The guru laughed and told him he was not ready. Parthi was then given a spiritual initiation and sent back home. Thirty years later, and half a world away in Southern California, he fled his life once more this time at the behest of two angels, a being of light, and a truly profound mystical exploration catalyzed by a near-death experience. Rajiv Parthi is a world-renowned specialist in pain management with over 30 years as a cardiac anesthesiologist. In addition to being chief of anesthesiology at Bakersfield Heart Hospital for more than a decade, Dr. Partee is founder of the Pain Management Institute of California. His study in complementary and alternative medicine has led him to formulate an integrative approach to total wellness, especially pain management, stress, and depression. He's the co-author with Paul Perry of an autobiography, Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage, into the afterlife and the wisdom he brought back. Join us for the next hour as we explore the fascinating story of a near-death experience, the spiritual transformation that followed, and the lessons it holds for all of us with our guest, Dr. Rajiv Parthi. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. It's my honor to be here. Oh, thank you so Um, much. It's my honor to have you. I would love for us to begin, if we may, with uh, like a thumbnail look into your life prior to the surgery and prior to this near-death experience. So what was your life like before that? In short, I was born and raised in India to a middle-class family, and I did my basic medical school in India. When I went into medical school, I wanted to serve the poor in the villages, uneducated, you know, to really, that was my mission. But uh, you mentioned about my spirituality when I wanted in the first or second year of medical school, I became very spiritual that I wanted to give up medicine and become a monk, but uh, uh, guru sent me back. And then when I finished my medical school, I was about 22 years old. 
and my sister was in U.S., so she sponsored me and I came to U.S. in 1982. So I've been here 34 years. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I did a residency in New York in pediatrics. And the idealistic... So that's going to work with children and yeah. pregnancy. Yes. Yeah, it's children. Yes. The idealistic Rajiv, you know, who wanted to serve and the poor and be there for the needy was somehow left behind in India. And now success, financial success, became a very important goal for me, the so-called American dream. And my American dream actually became a runaway American dream. You know, every few years, a bigger house, fancy cars, and more and more money. So much so, I was not making the amount of money I wanted to make as a pediatrician because that is the lowest paying specialty in medicine in America. I went back and did a residency in anesthesiology. So, so that's a better paying specialty, it is, huh? It is the high, one of the highest paying specialties. So then, and then eventually you got to Bakersfield to this. Eventually, uh, heart. my sister again was uh, married, is still married to a cardiologist near Fresno, California. So I did my residency pediatric in New York and uh, anesthesiology in uh, LSU Shreveport. And then when it came time to settle, I went to California. And at Bakersfield, they had invited me for a two weeks job, which is uh, we call locum in medical terminology, locum for substituting for somebody. But they liked it, we liked it. So we have been there for now 28 years. So in in that way, you you were eventually like the head of head anesthesiologist yeah. there in that in a heart cardiac, Hospital that yeah the name of the hospital very, was a, a Bakersfield Heart Hospital so that that was a big deal people came from everywhere to come yeah. to this hospital for their heart surgeries and yeah. things yeah valve surgeries bypass surgeries and all aneurysm and so you were living pretty as we say in the U.S. high on the hog so to speak yeah you know, big house you were driving big cars and you were. You were, I had a Hummer, I had a sports BMW every two, three years. I would change my car, you know. Then hmm. you had, uh, and you developed prostate cancer. Exactly, and in August of 2008. So you had surgery, and that started, <laughs> that first surgery was successful for the cancer, but not so successful in other ways, so. Yeah, like it... Uh, left me with complications. One of the biggest complications was incontinence. I had to wear diapers, you know, and I was hard cases or long cases, you know, four, four, five, five hour cases. And and the other thing was where the anastomosis was, where the surgery was, that would cause scarring again and again. And they had to do repeat surgery to cut the scar. And uh, I had seven total surgeries. And uh, then I developed chronic pelvic pain. And for pelvic pain, they gave me pain medications, which I used to prescribe in my pain clinic. So I got dependent upon those pain medicines. 
that all this led to depression. So I just want I just want to catch our listeners up because while you were doing working in the heart hospital, you also started a pain clinic. Yes. So you also had this going, like so to speak, on the side. Exactly. And your wife had a, a whole dentistry uh, practice. Practice. So she was a practicing dentist, and you have three children. And so I'm just giving kind of a picture yeah, of your life. Exactly. And so now you developed some sort of infection, I believe. It was the Christmas of 2008? No. the no. Two, uh, August of 2008, I had the surgery for prostate. So in uh, December of 2010, Ten. now it is two and a half years, and my incontinence was not getting better because you have to give it some time for it to recover naturally. Yeah. But I consulted a professor at UCLA, University of California, Los Angeles, and he said if it was to recover naturally, it would have recovered. So he suggested a surgery to implant a special device called artificial urethral sphincter so I can control my bladder. Right. And so that's what got infected. And now we're up to the the surgery that you had in where you had a near-death experience. And exactly. I'd love for you to say something. Um, we'll talk more in detail about the actual experience, but after coming to, you you were able to talk about it to to the anesthesiologist, yeah. which is usually the doctor, the first doctor anyone sees coming out of surgery is that's the doctor. And he reacted how to, to You know, your... the first person actually I spoke to was the recovery room nurse. Okay. And the, But the first doctor I spoke to was the anesthesiologist. And you told him about this experience? Yeah. And did he, was he interested? No. Yeah, the nurse was interested. She was very sympathetic and she had heard before. And usually women nurses are somehow more sympathetic, more nurturing, more spiritual. And doctor actually reminded me of myself because I had a similar case few years back where we were doing special surgery on a patient where the aorta, the main artery which comes of the heart on the left side, and normally it was aneurysm, means it was dilated. And normally we do the patient surgeries on the heart on a bypass pump where the blood is going through the brain. But in this case, we could not do it on a bypass pump. We literally froze the patient down. It's That's just an amazing, and I know you go into detail in the book about that, an amazing process that they are you know, it's like dead on the table. Exactly. So to there speak. was it's no amazing. blood to brain, no blood to heart or kidneys. But you have to work really fast. 45 minutes maximum. Yeah. 45 to 60 minutes okay. maximum. So this person now is in recovery and they've had this near death experience. And how did you react to what they were saying? I thought, oh, sure. You know, he had no blood going to his brain for 45 minutes. So. Maybe he did suffer some neurological damage in spite of being frozen. So actually, I gave him an antipsychotic shot of Haldol. 
and said, I'll come back tomorrow to listen, but I never went. And you know that, you, I know you state uh, the idea that many times this is what doctors do, and the person who has had that experience, then it fades from their memory. They, sure. they, have, they have no longer have, it's like an uh, anas- anesthesiology. I mean, I mean, you know, yeah, amnesia. 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 Right. You know, Haldol is a very strong yeah. antipsychotic. You know, if somebody go- is going crazy, you. So you're taking that whole experience away from them in some ways. Yeah. So here you are. You've had this experience. You're saying it to the doctor. He's treating you the same way you have treated. At least other he didn't patients. give me a Haldol shot. At least he didn't do that. Yes, exactly, exactly. So. So here you are, and we would I would love for you to begin to share with us what that what that experience was. What did, where did you go? I want to remind our listeners that people talk about going into the light and all of that, and there's going to be all love and light. But in in your case, it there it wasn't easy, so to speak. It wasn't yeah. it wasn't a just a total easy transition or, or experience. You're right. It was uh, traumatic to begin with. So um, before we go into that, I just want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Rajiv Parti, and he is the author of Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. And if you want to know more about his work and and his clinic, which is the Pain Management Institute of California, you can go to his website, dyingtowakeup.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. with Dr. Rajiv Parti, and he is the author of Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. Dr. Parti, I'd like to ask you now if you could describe that experience, that extraordinary experience of a near-death and going, where did you go and what did what happened? Yeah, sure. You know, so I was taken in for emergency surgery because I was becoming badly infected and the device I mentioned, you know, artificial urinary sphincter had become the source of infection. After all, it is a foreign body. So I was taken to the surgery early morning and about, I had seen the clock while going in the operating room. 
So about 20 minutes or so, I saw myself looking at my own physical body from near the ceiling. And my first reaction was that something is not right. And uh, maybe the anesthesiologist mixed up some drugs. Because there is a drug, as an anesthesiologist, I know, ketamine, which is a dissociative anesthetic, but it is rarely, rarely used in adults. I don't remember using it in adults. The only time I've used it is in children for bone dressing changes because they need dressing changes every other day or so. And it is also used as anesthetic in uh, veterinary medicine. And I later checked the record, it was not used. And there was no reason for him to use it. So it was used like with horses or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. or dogs, cats, yeah. Yeah, okay. all those. And for little children, you know. But for, it wasn't, you You thought it might, they might have used that because here you are looking down at yourself and you're thinking, okay, maybe they gave me the wrong medicine. Or yeah, wrong. because it is, it is and by definition, its class is known as dissociative anesthetic. Okay. It dissociates the consciousness and the body. Okay. And uh, then I heard the conversations and so much so I remember the joke told by an anesthesiologist. I still remember it, but I can't repeat it because <laughs> it was a dirty joke. <laughs> it was off color. Okay, you won't repeat it, but you heard it. Yeah. And uh, I saw the, I f saw the surgery. I could even s smell you know, the surgery, you know, the, uh, it was pretty awful. And from there, I went to different realms. And, you know, I went to, my consciousness was kind of at both, I did not travel, travel, but it was more like, uh, like Star Wars, beam me Scotty. Uh -huh. you, you, I'm uh -huh. here, then I'm there. Right. And then I was, in my childhood house in India, where I saw my mother and my sister, and I verified with them three, four days later what they were wearing. They were shocked. When it was happening at the same time, they were wearing this, you verified they had the same clothes on. And then where did you go? And then I found myself going to in a realm which was very dark, and I could hear a lot of souls crying, and there was fire and thunderstorm at the same time. That must have been scary. It was very scary. I did not want to be there, but I could feel as if some force pulling and pushing me there. And having been brought up in India, you know, we grew up with the concept of karma. So the first thing which came to me is, what have I done to deserve this? So it felt like a hell realm to you. Yeah, it was hell. Yes. It was hell. So then I caught the telepathically that I had so far led a very mean life, selfish life. I was technically very good with my hands, and I that's why I became the chief of anesthesia. But I didn't have the sympathy, the connection with my patients. They were more for me to, like, profit centers to make money. Right. And then I showed repentance and I asked for help. And of all the people who showed up, 
was my father who had died about 20-30 years ago as a complications from his bypass surgery in Fresno, California. And I had a very complex relationship with my father. You know, I was the only son, but he was physically and verbally abusive to me. And he was a product of what is known as partition of India. You know, when there was literally genocide on both sides of the border, India was divided among two countries, became two countries on independence, Muslim Pakistan and Hindu India. And And your father was a Hindu living on the Pakistani side. Exactly. And he was part of that whole movement, that train movement, all all the Hindus that were on the trains traveling from Pakistan to India, and so many were or slaughtered. Slaughtered. Trains and would be stopped and everybody would be slaughtered. And he was on that train. So yeah. you can imagine. And he was young then, too. That was He was 18, I think. 18 years old. You can imagine how scary that was And for he him. lost contact with his uh, family for two, three years. So my grandmother didn't know whether her son was alive, alive or, or not. Oh, wow. Because my grandparents were already in India because they had come to attend some wedding. And that's, we call it partition happened. It was. Yes. So they didn't go back, but my father was in Rawalpindi. So he had a very hard time then integrating back into India. In fact, people didn't even believe he was uh, Hindu. They thought he was Muslim. Yeah. And so he had to prove it over and over and over again that he was Hindu. So he, so you you had a complicated relationship with this man who had a complicated relationship in his with, own life with his own father. father exactly, yes. and my, my grandfather had it with his yes. father. And it was a generational trauma or abuse which was continuing. And, and you were passing it on to your son in some yeah, ways exactly. at that time. You know, like my eldest, I have two sons, mm-hmm. uh, but the eldest son, I was showing the same behavior, not physical abuse, because this is after America, and I was trained as a pediatrician before, but verbally, I was showing the same characteristics, like uh, I kind of forced my son to go into medical school, which he didn't want to go, you know. Kind of the way you were forced to in some way. So it's a surprise to you that your father then is your guide in this hell realm. Exactly. That here he is uh, showing up to help you. Mm-hmm. And uh, did that, was there some healing that happened? Oh, with there was that? a big healing. For the first thing I realized that after all, he loved me, and uh, but he could not express it. Right. So there was a lot of healing and forgiveness. And then you you experienced some past lives, mm-hmm. which we probably won't have time to really go into, but some of those. And and then, but I think the main thing about it was the the beings of light and the angels that showed up. And what did they give to you? And what what was that experience like? You know, like my father guided me towards a tunnel where I had a review of this life and two past lives, as you mentioned. Only thing I would like to uh, say about my past lives is you can go back in time and make mends, because in my present life I used to I had three wrist surgeries and I had pain in my right wrist, 
And in one of the past lives, I was a cruel prince whipping the poor farmers, and I asked forgiveness from them. So the the hand that you were using to whip the farmers that that you actually injured your wrist in that former life. No, in this life. In this life. Present life. Okay, but what did it have to do with the whip and? Like I suffered pain and and I could not work for a few months and I had three surgeries, and the main thing is when I asked forgiveness from those farmers and they forgave me, my pain disappeared. In this life. Yeah. So now the question is, how can you go back and past and do it? But I was discussing with Dr. Moody, you know, the father of NDE, who also did the foreword of your book, Dr. Yeah. Raymond Moody, who exactly. is really, as you say, the father of uh, near-death experiences or what people call NDEs. Mm-hmm. That in the other realm, there is no time because time is after a man-made construct, human construct, and time can go backwards or be curved. Or past, present, and future is existing at the same time. So in this, you, you mentioned one of your past lives that you felt like you healed something. And then were you given any instructions from the two angels that showed up in the and the uh, angels when I, of light? When I crossed the tunnel, I was greeted by two angels. As a Hindu, I knew about angels, but I did not know their names or kinds of angels they are. And they, you know... It's a kind of Christian concept. Christian thing, you know, and that's uh, why, you know, they were Michael and Raphael, and they made sense to me later on because Michael is the angel of strength, and Raphael especially is the angel for healers, for doctors and patients who need healing. And that's why my wife remarked, what happened to the thousands of Hindu gods and goddesses? One of them showed up. Yeah, right. That's a good question. And what's your what was your answer? I said, I don't know. You, know, know. you don't know, but that's what showed up. The Saint Michael and Saint Raphael. So yeah. uh, there you go. So they became your guides. And, uh, and you were instructed or given, not instructed, but but you were given the opportunity yeah. of, of to to change your life or to do some other work exactly. with your life. To, then they guided me towards the being of light. It was like thousand suns at the same time. I felt like a part of the light or, and separate from the light, like a wave and an ocean, you know, and... I was given the understanding that my life will be okay, but it'll be a totally different life. I was shown my future of talking to audiences and helping people spiritually, which was not even in my remote or even in dreams that I thought that I'll be giving up anesthesia, all the success, and where I am nowadays is, to be honest, Angel Gabriel you know, who is the angel, or he or she. Some people say she is an angel for communication, for speaking and writing. And I thank her for being here now to be with you. And so these angels, you, you were not a public speaker. In fact, oh, no. you know, there were, you had some fear about speaking. Big fear. Big fear. So it wasn't easy for you to just say, okay, I'm going to start this whole new life. 
So we'll talk more about that in just one moment. I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Rajiv Parthi, and he is the author of Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. And I want to spell his name just for those people uh, because we're not used to the spelling. Rajiv is R-A-J-I-V, and his last name, Parti, P-A-R-T-I. And his website is dyingtowakeup.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Rajiv Parthi, and he is the author of Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. And we're here now. You've, you have this whole new life, so, so you're talking about it to different people. And how did your wife, you know, when someone goes through some huge experience like this, life-changing, which it was for you, and you're going to change your life, it's just huge. It makes a huge impact on those around you. And so here you are. You don't even know how it's going to turn out. You don't even know how you're going to go forward with it. But you know you have this commission to do it, and you must change your life from this, what you call the disease of materialism, Mm -hmm. which you had been living how did your wife respond to this? You know, my wife was uh, skeptical in the beginning, but when things started happening and she saw like my attitude has changed towards my kids and my goals in life had changed, like instead of, and my relationship with God had changed and instead of just talking about money all the time and how can we get ahead and materialistic, it was a different person who went to sleep and the different person who woke up. So when she took you to the hospital that last time, she took one man to the hospital, yeah. but coming home, it was a completely different man. And and also at that time, I think you said by that time with your wrist and with other things, you were pretty addicted to prescription drugs. Yeah, my craving went away and my things started happening like my house, uh, I, it was not on the market for sale. One plastic surgeon friend of mine, Aquintus, came to see me and he said, oh, Raj, I like your house. And then me and my wife talked and without going through any real estate agent, just through an escrow company, me and their plastic surgeon had a house. He had a house, moderate sized house from his residency days. And we just exchanged our houses. And that just cut down your mortgage like... Oh, it was $15,000 a month before. So much so I used to think, you know, I I own the house or the house owns me. Right, right. 
So, but it was so, a beautiful house on a golf course, lake. Like my mother came from India. Oh, you live in a palace. Oh, I'm right on the golf course and the lake and all of that. But it was okay, wasn't it? To to ch- and you change the house and move and and it, almost like the angels brought you this opportunity to cut down on your expenses and cut down on your lifestyle. Like my cars, you know. I, I had sports BMW and Hummer. From that, I was dri- nowadays I drive uh, a Toyota Camry hybrid. Right. And uh, you know, because environment changed, for me, environment became important. You know, yes. when I was driving Hummer, I didn't care what it only gave eight miles a gallon. I could <laughs> afford it, so it was right. fine. Right. So, so here you are now in in this. There is something that you did that I thought was very significant, and uh, when you got home and you now set up and I think you're in your new house by this time, uh, and you decided one morning your wife has gone off to work, and you decided that you were going to have a funeral. Yeah. That's what I had witnessed when I had gone to the Himalayas, when the monks take up a new life. They're given a new name and they do a self-funeral. Like the old person is gone and now they're taking a new role as a new reborn person. Like, you know, Christians have reborn Christians. Like baptism. or, or yeah, yeah, that now they're or, different and now they're in service right. of God. Yes, yes. And so you you took your uh, you actually did a funeral pyre, uh, very yeah. very very Hindu is like uh, a funeral yeah. pyre that you took your scrub clothes and you put them some pain medication. And, and, your and pain. if you read the book, I was big in stock market, a day trader, so much so in ninety nine and two thousand, I was not working as a doctor but a day trader. <laughs> so you were you were working the stock market like mad and. And so, so you you put your market books and in, in there, and you put your your ads for special cars, and you put all of that together, and you put that on the barbecue, yeah. and and fired it up and burned all of that to ash. Yeah. And then you wrote three letters. Yep. And and you 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 tell us about the letters in the book, and you we can read those in the book, dying to wake up and. Then, what what was the purpose of writing the letters and then burning each one? You know, writing the letters is one of the ways of because I'm big on forgiveness. You know, we're talking with my father, like I resented him, so I wrote a letter of forgiveness to my father, and then I was mad at myself, which was the hardest forgiveness. That why did I this do? Why did I do that? Why did I behave like this? And then I was actually mad at God. So that's quote unquote, I forgave God too. Because why did I get cancer? Why did my life have to change? You know, to with God, I started to accept His will more, you know. And because with the prayer that I do not know what is good for me, so give me strength to accept your will. Like I had a vision board, you know, after watching the movie Secret, you know, of a big house in Malibu and a Ferrari or something like that. 
It was made of cardboard, so one time I was visiting near the ocean, Santa Barbara, I just prayed and floated it as a ocean, as giving up my will to God. And and in these this letter writing and the, these ideas of forgiveness and, and love, these are uh, starting to come to you as as your own now new work of consciousness-based healing is what you call it. So so these things are starting to, you didn't know how you're going to do it, but now they're starting to come to you as you're releasing these objects and these the old life. Exactly. So when uh, you're starting to speak to others, um, I, I was interested too in something that you spoke about. One of your chapters is called a guidance map. And you know, we we we'd love for someone to just take our hand and and just take us on our path. Once we say, "Okay, I give it up to God, and I'm going to do the will of Spirit or follow my my own inner calling or whatever you want to call it," and we want someone to hold our hand to do it. But you found that the angels were telling you, um, "Hey, that's not the way it works." So, what can you say about that? Yeah, you know, like. Uh... You surrender, accept, and at the same time you uh, go with your energy, I call it inner GPS or the guru inside you because the spark of God is inside you. And I talk about three things, prayer, service, and meditation. Because prayer is when you talk to God, meditation is when God talks to you, after all, the language of God is silence. And service, I'm not just, I call it seva, a Sanskrit word, but is not just doing few hours on a weekend in a soup kitchen. That is good. But I am going deeper, have that mindset that I'm here to serve, I'm here to take care. Like we always hear talk about random acts of violence there could be random acts of kindness. Yes. In fact, there are probably many more of those than than the violence. We just, like, read more about the violence. Yeah. What, what does that have to do with pain? Because, like, you've been, you work with stress and pain. That's your clinic now and the work that you do. So uh, you're not using as much prescription drugs. See, pain as- and pain is part of life I'm realizing, but suffering is optional. Yes. And how you deal with pain is by, you know, stress, if the stress is, if the sympathetic system is in a high stress or higher awareness, then the pain is exaggerated too. So by the meditation, you can calm down your nervous system. And this is the modern psychology is proving that with calming down the system, you produce opioids-like substance in your own body, you know, or with exercise, physical exercise, which are known as endorphins or encephalins, and they are opioids naturally produced by the body. So you're talking about a whole um, physiological system we have, and meditation can help calm that down when we get into stress and it triggers all of these 
hormones and and opiate uh, not opiates but but uh, stress, cortisol and epinephrine. cortisol and and others into our system that are you finding that the people who come to you who have been suffering chronic pain who have been in pain for a long time that there are ways that they can reduce and release that pain like without massage. without medications like massage like yoga and physical exercise you know getting rid of the tension because otherwise all those things cause more pain part of the people have what are called trigger points you know like on their muscles they have knots where the muscle is con- constricted and by meditation and by massage those knots are released and the vicious circle because when there is a knot it causes pain and that pain causes more constriction and more pain so it con- continues it's a vicious cycle isn't it yes yeah so and uh, you know like even culturally different cultures by have different pain tolerance you know like asian women you know vietnamese or southeast asian they can i've seen tolerate much more pain you know Physi- you're talking about physical pain physical yeah. pain yeah and and the pain can be the physical pain starts it as a physical pain but gradually the pain becomes centralized and centralizes that the physical part may have healed but it is not deep inside but in here in america there is a a um I think the addiction to prescription drug is the number one addiction in our country. So people want that quick fix and think, okay, let's just take a drug and let it in. It is, you know, like uh, our culture from I hate to say it but pharmacological companies, you know, I used to have patients ask me for drugs, prescriptions, antidepressants, pain medications by name. because they would see the advertisements uh, on TV and so you would prescribe them but now you're working with it in a very different way now i preach you know like uh, uh, things like ayurveda you know uh, which is um, basically lifestyle management you know 70% of the modern day diseases are caused from lifestyle right. heart disease hypertension stress to, 30% of the western population is depressed as aren't antidepressants it's a big billion dollar industry i'm here with dr rajiv parthi and he's the author of dying to wake up a doctor's voyage into the afterlife and the wisdom he brought back i'm justine willis toms you're listening to new dimensions
I'm here with Dr. Rajiv Parthi, and he's the author of Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. And Dr. Rajiv, what you received was a kind of manifesto of from the angels that you worked with, an, a near-death manifesto, and there were seven points with that. Can can you talk about some of those points? Yeah. You know, like the, I call us eternal truths. The first thing was when I separated from my body that consciousness can exist outside the body. Then I met my father who had died 20, 30 years ago that there is life after death. I experienced my past lives that we have past and future lives, which do affect our nature in this life. You know, the samskara, the characteristics continue. Then I met angels who helped me a lot that there are divine beings who are angels, guides, ascended masters like Jesus, Krishna, who are there to help us. But they, we have to request kind of help. And then in the presence of the light being, what I really felt was total peace and love. It was like the true nature of reality is love, unconditional love. And for me, the first time I experienced unconditional love was when my child, the first boy was born, holding him in my hand. I have delivered babies myself before, but when it was my own, you know, it's a miracle. You know, I'm going to be there for him. It was amazing. And one of my most important thing is that we, like when I was in the presence of the light being, that we are all connected to each other, that we are waves of the same substance, the same spiritual energy which forms a light being, forms me, we forms you. And also that uh, I was learned that there are different levels of consciousness. Like we all know the levels of sleeping, awake, and dreaming. But there are more levels. One is like with meditation, you go into a transcendental phase. And with deeper prayer and meditation, you can go into what is called cosmic, then divine, and then finally, unitary consciousness where all what exists is just consciousness. So these are the basic seven truths. So uh, so through some of these meditation techniques, and you have some of them in, in the book, book, where you you can start to tune into that unified, universal energy of, you, of light. You can get glimpses of that, and yes. then you bring it back to your daily life. Yes. That's where there is a saying, it does not make a difference what happens on the cushion. What is more important is what happens off the cushion. Right. So it's not taking a break from life, but it's really enhancing your life. Exactly. Yes. That's why meditation is a big part of my personal life, too. So you... And you, you train other people to meditate, and I, you meditate every day? and Yeah, I meditate at least 20 minutes twice a day. Yes. And I learned meditation from different... I, I know different kinds of meditations depending upon what the patient needs. I, I was interested in... there. You had a very fine friend who has now passed on, uh, uh, 
Naresh? Naresh, exactly. Uh, a very dear friend, and yeah. uh, you were with him as he was going through his cancer. And at one time, you taught him to meditate. He was he was fearful. He knew he, he was, was very fearful. He was facing death, but his colon cancer had uh, metastasized to his liver, and he was going downhill. And I taught him what I call a light shout or a light being meditation, where you try to, where, and that meditation, I try to give the client or the pay or whoever it is the experience of kind of a near-death experience without having a near-death experience. You know, like the client goes through the different journey and is in the presence of the light. And so there's a way to to get there without having to do the near death, and that's exactly what that's why in my speeches I usually end with that. You don't have to have a near death experience to transform. The transformation is available to you right now. Now I know that some people who have come back from a near death experience, they've had a spontaneous healing. That doesn't always happen, but um, can you say something about that? You know, like uh, the pe people have different uh, healings, like especially like Anita Morjani, she had whole lymphoma, or I don't know which kind of lymphoma it was. It was totally gone. In my case, my sepsis was gone. I healed much faster. I was discharged in two to three days, and my craving for the pain medications went away, and my health improved and it gave me new purpose in life, you know, psychologically. And so that's why the person is a different person. Now, in, in um, Najif's or Naresh, what, what was his Naresh. name? Naresh. In his case, he didn't have a healing, but he expressed to you that he felt more calm. He was at peace with the. Uh, what was coming and he knew the death was coming and actually his last day he was i saw him he was in coma and you know it's because every system was shutting down and i saw him the evening came home and actually i'm so grateful to him that he gave me another spiritual experience which i call shared death experience uh, and this is something that dr raymond moody has really studied shared death experience, S-D-E. And so you shared his death in some way? In some way, like Dr. Moody shared with her, I think he had one doctor tell her the, tell him the story and also with his, his own mother died, you know. And the shared death experience, and like in my case, when somebody near to you dies, your own soul or spirit goes with the other soul to a certain extent. And then there's a, usually a barrier and the other friend or relative spirit goes ahead and you come back. So in other words, you get the opportunity of accompanying this friend on their journey to the light. At some point, you have to go back to yeah. your own life uh, but there, that's a very must have been a powerful experience. And, and the most powerful was that I met a Middle Eastern, you know, about seven foot, I think, 
person who I didn't know but had a beard and who telepathically, you know, uh, said was Jesus. So you felt like Jesus was there for your friend, and you met Jesus too, right there, in in as a greeter to this yeah, friend. Yeah, and, and you know, and my biggest question when I came back to my body was that do, do I become a Christian now or what? <laughs> and then deeper meaning was that is my job to spread Christ consciousness, which is what. I'm doing, you know, love, forgiveness is what, to me at least, is the biggest lesson from Jesus. So it's it's a universal. It's and that spread from all the. It doesn't take any one particular religion. If you say Christ consciousness, you're not just talking about Christianity. Exactly. You're talking about all all the spiritual paths. All the spiritual paths, and the biggest of all spiritual paths is love for each other and uh, forgiveness. So uh, is there anything else that you'd like to share that you learned from, let's say, the lessons of the light, if there's anything? You know, like uh, I would share about I was in Montreal giving a speech four weeks ago or so, and somebody asked me on a panel, how should I prepare for my death? And my answer spontaneously came to me was, you prepare for your death by living this life fully in service of others. Beautiful. Do the angels continue to communicate with you? Yeah, and my father especially. I have a beautiful relationship with my father now. And so when, and is that like in meditation? When in you're meditations, in meditation? In dreams, or, you know, like... Uh, they show me, I, I challenge them, you know, Gabriel, if you're here, like I was in Denver two weeks ago and I was talking to one person about my angels and uh, how I am nowadays uh, with Angel Gabriel, as I mentioned here. And after 10 minutes, the person says, you know, my name is Gabriel. Oh, so there is a confirmation, isn't it? That, yeah. that this is... This is real. You're, you you have a, I would say, a very dynamic relationship with these entities. Uh, these synchronicities. Synchronicities yeah. really helps us to, to have the faith that there is something beyond what we can touch and feel, but something else going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I I just uh, want to thank you so much, Dr. Parti, for all of your good work and for your service, your seva work of serving others now, leaving that other life behind. And I, I you look very happy. You look very healthy. And you know, giving up your Hummers and your big house. I know. As I said, you know, my life went from Hummer to hybrid. <laughs> from Hummer to hybrid. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> yeah. So I want to remind our listeners, I've been speaking with Dr. Rajiv Parti. He spells his name R-A-J-I-V, Parti, P-A-R-T-I. And if you, in his book is Dying to Wake Up, A Doctor's Voyage into the Afterlife and the Wisdom He Brought Back. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, dyingtowakeup.com, or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening. 
to New Dimensions. This is program number 3596. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Please visit us at newdimensions.org, where you can subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. That's newdimensions.org. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. This program was recorded at Strawberry Hill Productions, a full-service podcast production studio in Novato, California. Since 1973, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge of culture, the arts, science, health, psychology, spirituality, and a host of other fields. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions Archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support.